to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Aviva Ram, your host of Natural MD Radio, and welcome back for episode 116. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask three really big favors of you. One is to subscribe. If you're not already a subscribed member, please subscribe where you most listen to podcasts. And if you're not sure how or where to subscribe, go to avivaram.com forward slash one one six and look at the bottom of the page and we'll give you some links for subscribing over there. The other thing is please rate and review. And of course, if you can give it your highest review, because that's how other women learn about the important information that they can find on Natural MD Radio. And this information has really helped women take back their health. I get emails and letters and social media comments all the time on how women have transformed so many different areas of their lives using the information they learn here on Natural MD Radio. And also tell a friend because that's another way that more women get to find out about this information. And you'd be amazed. I mean, you might think you're the only one struggling with something, or you might hear something and think that's really interesting, but I'm not struggling with it. You might find that somebody close to you or somebody you work with or somebody you meet in a casual conversation at a grocery store or party um, is struggling with something and you're having heard it can really help that woman take back her health. These three things are so important for this show. First, subscribing helps the show rise in the rankings and brings it to the attention of more people. And also, as I said, this is really how other women find this information that they're not finding in their doctor's offices. They're not finding when they go to get prenatal care or go for their annual visit. Leaving a review also really helps the show. There are a lot of podcasts out there and your ratings and reviews help a lot of people decide what to listen to, right? There's so much to choose from. How do women know this is one that they can rely on? And your word can really, really make a difference. So please make sure to subscribe, rate and review, share it with a friend. And if you love this show, feel free to leave me a comment, post a question. I love hearing your comments and questions. And in an upcoming feature, Ask Me Anything, I'm actually going to start anonymously, unless you say otherwise, addressing those questions. So if you become a regular listener, if you're not already, you may actually hear an answer to your question. All right. Thank you so much for allowing me a minute to tell you how to help me elevate the podcast for more women. Let's dive into our topic for today, which is the adrenal thyroid connection, a self-care approach to hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. It's January 13th, 2020, when I'm recording this episode, and January is National Thyroid Awareness Month. I think every month should be Thyroid Awareness Month for women because it affects so many of our health, so much of our health, so many aspects of our health. And did you know that there's a profound adrenal thyroid connection? The impact of stress on our health is myriad and it's far reaching. And how can we not be feeling stress right now? You know, keeping up with our own life demands is a big enough challenge at times. And on top of that, we're worried about big global issues, the economy, safety, going out in public, going to movies, in our kids' schools, the political climate. There's now um, so much stress as there's just increasing division and 24-hour news cycle feeds and the health of the planet that we're on. In fact, there's a whole new phenomenon called eco-anxiety that adults and kids alike are experiencing as we're constantly bombarded with you know, real concerns about climate change. On top of that, there are numerous hidden stressors. So things that act like stress, but that are invisible to us, environmental toxin exposures, 
insults to our microbiome, difficulty getting good enough sleep or enough sleep period, and much, much more that activate our body's stress response in ways similar to or exactly the same as the more obvious kinds of stress that we feel in our life. Because each of us is a living, breathing, complex, whole organism, when any one aspect of our lives is affected, each of what I call our internal ecosystems is also impacted. Today, I'm going to focus on the very specific impact of stress on a gland that has enormous influence on your metabolism, weight, mood, hormones, so much more, your thyroid. The important takeaway here is that while stressors may now be a chronic part of our lives, there are things you can do to rein it in so it doesn't wreak actual havoc on your health or tank your thyroid. And there are things that you can do to reverse stress and the impact of stress if it's already affecting you. Let's start with the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or HPA axis, your innate alarm system. When you experience stress or any threat to your well-being, your brain goes into high alert, activating an ancient system designed to protect you from a wide variety of threats and dangers. It largely does this by mobilizing very quickly the energy you need to evade, escape, or overpower the immediate hazard. In the extreme, it's what gives people those superpowers that you hear about in those rescue stories for like... Example, when somebody lifts a car off of someone. But in the more day-to-day, it's what makes your heart race, causes you to feel like fleeing in a stressful environment, makes you suspicious of someone in an elevator if you feel their vibe is off, or any number of those little triggers or bigger triggers that we get throughout the day and throughout our lives that tell us something's wrong or we're under stress or we're facing a threat. The warning system is activated in two small parts of your brain called your amygdala. They're like a surveillance camera scanning your house perimeter for danger, and your house is you. If danger is perceived, a message goes to your hypothalamus, that's the H in HPA axis, which acts like your alarm system. It calls 911. Your pituitary gland, the P in the HPA axis, alerts then that there's a threat, and 911 gets a message out to your adrenal glands, where your adrenaline, a chemical produced in your brain and your adrenals, and cortisol, a hormone produced in the outer layer of your adrenal gland, the cortex, act a bit like the police, the fire department, and the ambulance service. They get ready to respond by getting you away from the danger, by creating a fight, flight, or freeze reaction, and getting your body ready to deal with possible inflammation, infection, injury, hemorrhage, or shock, should there be a real risk to your safety. It's an elegant system. And when it gets triggered by an actual threat, it can help you avoid danger. And in an emergency, it's truly life-saving. It's our survival mode. Unfortunately, modern life is keeping us in a state of survival mode or chronic stress activation a lot of the time, with very little time to pause in between putting out one fire and then the next fire in our lives and keeping up with relentless demands. Here are just a handful of the situations that keep us in chronic survival mode, and I'm sure you can probably relate to more than one. Having a periodically or chronically stressful work environment, boss or coworkers, a stressful home situation or relationship, financial stress, illness in yourself or a family member or being a caregiver for a family member, chronically repeated episodes of low blood sugar because you've been too busy to eat much more than a cup of coffee and a muffin, or you've been skipping meals altogether, poor sleep, making you feel irritable, crave sugar and feel at the end of your rope or you're just barely getting by or keeping up. And associated with that, being chronically overwhelmed by things to do and feeling like you're never going to get them done. Simple things like getting stuck in traffic on your way to a meeting or to pick up your kids at school, running late and feeling stressed out about it, having to get your taxes in and your bills paid. These are all just a few examples of some of the real stressors that activate the HPA axis And even more, if you've been fired from a job, you're experiencing a relationship trauma as a child or an adult, you're 
exposed to true vulnerability due to severe financial stress, you've had any stressful past trauma or perceived potential disaster in your life, for example, growing up in an economically unstable home or growing up with a family member who had mental illness. All of these things actually increases your experience and lowers your threshold at which your HPA axis gets activated to protect you. When it's chronically activated, the HPA axis puts you in a state of ongoing survival mode and you feel it. And this can have a huge impact on numerous aspects of our health, leading to overweight, especially around the middle, or difficulty or near impossibility. You're doing everything and you still can't lose the weight. Difficulty falling asleep, poor sleep, waking up tired even after a full night's sleep, waking up in the middle of the night unable to go back to sleep, poor immunity, getting sick a lot, and then also things like getting recurrent cold sores or herpes outbreaks or yeast infections or bladder infections, chronic exhaustion, overwhelm, poor emotional, mental, or physical resilience, irritability, anxiety, feeling tired and wired like you're so exhausted but you just can't get to sleep, depression, hopelessness, sugar, caffeine, and other food cravings. Low blood sugar can cause but also be a response to chronic stress. Insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, poor mental function, concentration or memory problems, and hormonal problems from irregular periods to fibroids to infertility to endometriosis to PCOS to hypothyroid. All of these can be the result of chronic stress and chronic adrenal function overdrive. So what is the adrenal thyroid connection? Let's focus on that for today. Your thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland at the front of your neck. It performs literally hundreds, if not thousands, of essential functions related to growth, metabolism, hormone control and balance, and also utilizing and conserving energy depending on what your body needs moment to moment, the energy being what comes from food. When you're under prolonged or recurrent chronic stress, your adrenal system tells your body to conserve rather than spend too much energy. It's like your brain knows that there's an energy crisis and it tells your body not to overspend that energy, so you start to store it. It does this for two reasons. Immediately, it's diverting energy away from what are sometimes called optimistic activities like digestion and sex drive, things that you do when you're in a calm state, when there are plenty of resources available, when you have energy, which is why a lot of times when we're under stress, we feel it in our digestion, our digestion slows down, or we get loose stools, or we might get constipated, it can go either way. And most of us don't have a lot of sex drive when we're feeling really tired or overly stressed. So what happens is your body is diverting energy away from these things toward energy that's needed for handling the emergency that your brain perceives that you're facing or that you're actually up against. And interestingly, on a very primitive level, level, famine is actually one of those emergencies that our HPA axis is programmed to respond to by shifting us from energy expending things like metabolism and reproduction and sex drive to saving behaviors like slow metabolism and weight gain and higher cholesterol. So as such, cortisol puts a kibosh on thyroid function because it's your thyroid's job to maintain that metabolism, to keep your energy high, to keep your reproductive function online, to keep your sex drive uh, activated. Your, adren your thyroid is having an enormous role in all of that. So what your cortisol is doing from your adrenals being activated, it's like an automatic stop on your bank account to protect you from overdrafting. The problem is a slow thyroid not only makes you feel pretty crappy, it can cause you to feel exhausted, depressed, and sluggish. There can be much bigger problems that can affect your sense of well-being, your physical comfort, and your long-term health. Untreated Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, for example, can cause, in addition to fatigue and exhaustion, 
weight gain, and that can make you feel uncomfortable and unhappy with your body and frustrated. But in the long run, if not treated, it can increase your risk of obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. As I just mentioned, part of the way your thyroid helps you store energy is by packing some of it away as cholesterol. So high cholesterol can happen as a result of thyroid's role in fat metabolism. If the fat metabolism goes down, your cholesterol goes up. Untreated Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism can cause depression. As many as 15% of women on antidepressants have an undetected thyroid problem that's actually the cause of their depression, but their thyroid problem hasn't been diagnosed, so they're being misdiagnosed and mistreated as having a mental health problem rather than actually the mental health symptom being due to low thyroid function. It's also a reason a subset of women who take antidepressants don't respond to them. It's not helping their depression because the problem isn't serotonin or another neurotransmitter. The problem is their thyroid isn't working and that lowers mood because it's lowering energy. Anxiety often also accompanies thyroid problems. So having anxiety can be a symptom of thyroid dysfunction. Decreased cognitive function. Your thyroid is responsible for helping you maintain brain health, and even slight thyroid dysfunction can impair memory and concentration. Studies of women in their 60s have shown that even marginally slow thyroid function, not not even at a level that would be medically diagnosable, can impair thyroid cognitive function and brain protective effects to the extent that it can cause dementia-like symptoms. In the mild form of it, women often describe it as having brain fog. Increased risk of cardiac arrhythmias and congestive heart failure can ultimately occur in the long run if you lose the thyroid's regulatory control over heart rate and rhythm. Impaired thyroid function can also have a devastating effect on fertility, pregnancy, and the experience of being a mom because it's already a tiring enough job. Being a mom with a thyroid problem is like pushing a piano up a hill with one hand tied behind your back. And it often goes undetected, but can be a terrible source of anguish, loss, and and terrible struggle for women. Women with hypothyroidism may contend with fertility problems. They have an increased risk of miscarriage and preterm birth and have a much higher risk of developing both prenatal and postpartum depression, making what would otherwise potentially be a really beautiful time in their lives, sometimes actually traumatic. Severe hypothyroidism in pregnancy has now also been shown to not only increase the risk of developmental problems in the baby, but also increases the risk of autism. And there is more. The thyroid impacts bone health and bone strength. It affects libido. If you have no energy, you're not going to be in the mood, understandably. It can also lead to all manner of hormonal imbalances. Women with Hashimoto's are also at risk of developing additional autoimmune conditions. Autoimmune disease is a whole body process, and often more than one system gets attacked. And the hair loss that often accompanies hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's can have a terrible impact on a woman's self-confidence and her sense of herself and her appearance, which can keep her from doing things that she would otherwise do socially and publicly, and it's also often terribly worrisome. The impact of hypothyroidism on women's lives is often dramatic and sometimes devastating, with fatigue and poor concentration, for example, also impacting career and financial success and personal relationships. And look, if you're there right now or you've been there, you know how much it can really affect your life. Because the most common symptoms of hypothyroidism, weight gain, depression, anxiety, brain fog, sleep problems, and fatigue are also amongst those that are most likely to be chalked up by doctors and even sometimes by our own selves to just stress, women can go for years with a misdiagnosis or never get one at all, leaving many women feeling confused, blaming themselves, feeling like they're doing something wrong or aren't doing enough to have more energy and feel better. They're driving themselves crazy dieting but can't lose weight beating themselves up for not being happier people, and suffering from the grief of fertility problems, miscarriages, and other challenges, all because of a problem for which there's easy detection and treatment. 
While there are many factors that can cause hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's, which I discuss discuss at length in other podcasts and on my website in blogs, and I show you how to heal in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, which you can get a copy of by linking over to the blog page associated with this podcast, avivaram.com forward slash 116. I want to focus today on one issue that you can start to address right now at home and can have a really impact, profound impact on how you feel and your thyroid health, health, particularly if this is an underlying or root cause that's affecting you and your thyroid. So how can stress tank thyroid function and what can you do about it? There are several significant ways at a physiologic level happening in your body organs that chronic stress can lead to thyroid problems. So I'm going to review those with you. One is that stress can actually directly put a a break on thyroid function. It reduces thyroid function. When you're under stress, immune system chemicals called inflammatory cytokines, which have names like IL-1, beta, IL-6, and TNF-alpha are released. These do something called downregulate, which is medical speak for decrease, the production of key thyroid hormones, TSH, T3, and T4. And they make the thyroid less sensitive to TSH, which is the key hormone that stimulates the function of your thyroid. It stimulates thyroid production. So this inflammatory impact on your thyroid directly reduces thyroid function. Another thing that can happen is that you get reduced active thyroid hormone production. While your thyroid produces your thyroid hormones, it mostly produces an inactive form called T4. T4 has to be converted to a form called T3, which does the heavy lifting of all your thyroid's actions in your body. This conversion happens through enzymes largely in your liver. However, when you're under stress or when you're sick, like say you have the flu, your body's conversion of T4 to T3 is decreased. Instead, your body stockpiles the inactive form by binding and holding it in a form called reverse T3 or RT3, making it unusable until the stress passes. The reason your body's doing that is to divert energy that would be going outward into metabolism inwardly to healing and conservation. Now, another thing that happens is reduced thyroid hormone sensitivity. So even if your thyroid has escaped the inflammatory triggers that may block thyroid production, you know, especially the um, T4, or it blocks, it's not blocking TSH enough so that you're still producing thyroid hormone. And even if you're converting ample amounts of T4 to T3 in your liver, chronic inflammation that can happen as a result of being under chronic stress also makes your thyroid hormone receptors on your cells less sensitive to the active form of thyroid hormone so that the thyroid hormone can't do its job. Each of your cells has these docking ports called receptors. And when you produce this active thyroid hormone, T3, it travels through your bloodstream and lands on one of those docking ports. Kind of think about like the USS Enterprise in Star Trek landing in a docking port in some space station. And what happens is that sends a signal to the cell to start to do various functions that your thyroid is responsible for. So revving up your metabolism, stimulating ovulation, and hundreds of other things. If your thyroid receptors get blocked, it would be like those stations on those space, you know, those those docking ports on the space stations are broken or blocked. They can't work. So the USS Enterprise can't land and the folks on the Enterprise can't go into the station and activate systems. So that's one of the things that can also happen when your adrenals are chronically activated. And cortisol is part of what's blocking this receptor activity. Now, stress also causes immunity. 
uh, inflammation and chronic immune system dysregulation. And that stress immunity impact can affect your thyroid health. Chronic immunity, act, chronic immune system activation over time increases your risk of developing autoimmunity. And there's also a really vicious cycle because the more your body perceives stress due to inflammation, the more your stress response system gets activated and triggered. And over time, when your body starts to overactivate your stress response system through your adrenals, that system starts to get really confused and it may start to get dysregulated. And that's one of the ways your body stops protecting you from autoimmune dysfunction. The other thing is when you're producing a lot of cortisol over time, it has a tremendous wear and tear effect on your bones, on your muscles, and on your other many, many other functions. And so over time, prolonged stress for months or more, your brain will actually start to tell ultimately your adrenals to stop pumping out so much cortisol. That's what people sometimes erroneously call adrenal fatigue. Your adrenals aren't fatigued. Your, body, your brain is trying to protect your body from being damaged by too much cortisol and too much adrenaline, and it puts the brakes on cortisol and adrenaline production. But the downside of that is if you do have a lot of inflammation, and think about it, Hashimoto's thyroiditis or non-autoimmune thyroiditis, itis means inflammation. And that's what's having the impact, the damaging impact on the thyroid is that inflammation. But if your body tells, if your brain tells your adrenals to not produce so much cortisol, well, one of cortisol's most important roles is to protect you from inflammation. So too much cortisol can put the kibosh on your thyroid function, but over time, burnout can also mean that your immune system is getting dysregulated, you become more at risk for autoimmune disease, and at the same time, cortisol is not there as abundantly to protect you from chronic inflammation. So too much of a good thing or too little of a good thing can both lead to thyroid problems. So what happens when you're, um, when you're in this status of chronic dysregulation? You can develop something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the autoimmune form of Hashimoto's. And that's actually responsible for 90% of all thyroid dysfunction in the United States, almost all of which affects women. Now, there are some other things that can affect your thyroid too when you're under stress. There is a stress gut impact on your thyroid health. Remember earlier how I said that chronic stress diverts energy away from op optimistic functions like digestion and sex drive? This can also have a huge impact on thyroid function and your ability to heal your thyroid when it's affecting your digestive system. Stress affects your gut in two main ways that can impact your thyroid health. One is by harming your microbiome, and the other is by causing leaky gut, which don't always but do often go hand in hand. When you're under stress, blood flow gets diverted away from your gut lining, and also the chemical, of your, the chemical environment of stress in your body has a direct impact on your gut flora, leading to overgrowth of the harmful species at the expense of the good guys in your gut. Both of these changes, the blood flow away from the gut lining and what's called dysbiosis, can lead to a condition called leaky gut, which makes you susceptible to all kinds of food triggers, even coming from foods that you previously enjoyed and didn't cause you any problems, but once you have leaky gut can now become a problem and they can become harmful. Additionally, some of these not so friendly gut bugs can activate something called endotoxemia, all of which can lead to inflammation in your body significant enough to ultimately cause autoimmune conditions and even directly attack your thyroid. Cutting out food triggers is part of reducing the stress on your body, particularly if you can identify which food triggers may be at play if you have a thyroid condition going on, particularly Hashimoto's, an, elimin an elimination diet, and what is called a 4R program for healing your gut can help you identify food triggers, heal your gut lining, and improve your gut flora. 
Now, there's one more connection that I want to talk about that's really interesting, and that's the stress estrogen impact on thyroid health. Cortisol reduces our ability to clear estrogen from our system through our liver. Increased estrogen upregulates, which is the medical speak for increasing. Remember, downregulates, I mentioned also means earlier means decreasing, upregulating means increasing. Increased estrogen upregulates the production of a carrier protein called thyroid binding globulin, which does exactly what it sounds like. It binds onto thyroid hormone. Bound forms of thyroid hormone are not very active. So your thyroid function goes down even when your thyroid is pumping out the stuff like it's supposed to. The active free form just doesn't get to your cells where it's supposed to dock on and do that good work that your thyroid is supposed to do. So we've got a number of different impacts. We've got stress and cortisol and immune um, cytokines reducing the actual function of your thyroid, leading to decreased receptivity to TSH and decreased T3 and T4 production. We've got reduced active thyroid hormone production, so the T4 is not getting converted to T3. We've got reduced hormone sensitivity. Your cells aren't being able to get stimulated to do the work from that your thyroid is supposed to tell it to do because the thyroid hormone can't bind onto it. That active thyroid hormone can't bind. We've got the stress immunity impact leading to chronic inflammation or uh, low cortisol leading your body to not be able to protect you from inflammation and also too much strain on the immune system chronically leading to autoimmune disease developing. We've got the stress gut impact, which includes leaky gut and dysbiosis, and we've got the estrogen stress impact. So stress is kind of the mother root cause of all of these other root causes. It's the big kind of trigger or stimulator for all those other things to happen. Now, there can be other reasons that these other things are happening. You can have too much estrogen because of environmental exposures to plastics in our water, or you can have gut dysbiosis due to having had to take antibiotics for something or even antibiotic overuse when we're kids or teenagers. So there are lots and lots of different avenues that these things can happen through. But stress is one of those things that we can actually start to address right away in our lives. And look, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not like the world's stressors are going to go away. But we can have some impact on how we respond to those stressors. And remember, I mentioned some of those stressors are the things that we're exposed to, like uh, environmental toxins. But we can also really start to take a look at how emotional stress, how life stress, how workplace stress is affecting us. You know, are we taking our work home at the end of the day? Are we doing things to support our resiliency and our ability to respond? Are we doing too much that we can maybe let go of? So I want to talk about a few of the things that you can do to nip the vicious cycles of the stress adrenal thyroid connection in the bud or kick them in the butt. Like really, we all deserve to live lives that are much less stress-inducing than most of our lives actually are. So how can we decide that we deserve to have downtime? How can we decide that we deserve to feel better? And in the process, how can we calm down that HPA axis response So it's not in fight, flight, or freeze, which is the sympathetic overdrive, but it's more in a calmer state, what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is that feeling you feel when you're relaxed, when you laugh with friends, when you take a hot bath and you go, or a hot shower if you don't have a bath at home. It's that really deep feeling you get, you know, optimally that we tap into more often um, in our lives, like when you're in shavasana at the end of yoga or when you feel really great after a massage. And these are the things that we want to tap into more in our lives. Is it the answer to every thyroid problem, or can it completely on its own turn a thyroid problem around? Well, interestingly, for some people, the answer is yes. I have had patients who have come to me, totally normal thyroid, and then th- for, then they've had three months of just 
horrendous stress in their life and they gained weight out of nowhere and their hair was falling out and they couldn't sleep and they went to their primary doctor and got a diagnosis of hypothyroidism. And when they came to me, we worked on reversing the stress. And for some of those women, their thyroid problem actually resolved. It was so acute that it resolved. But even if your thyroid problem is more entrenched, you've had it for years, and stress reduction alone isn't the only answer. Remember earlier when I was sharing with you the impact of adrenal overdrive on so many aspects of our lives. And also, remember I said, you're having Hashimoto's, if you do have the autoimmune form, Hashimoto's, not just hypothyroidism, increases your risk for developing other autoimmune disease. So even if you still, for example, do need to take a medication for your thyroid problem, really learning to integrate how we experience our world so that you can experience it in a, in a way that's more inner calm, so that you're that calm in the middle of the storm instead of just being whipped around by the storm of life, um, can actually help you prevent other conditions down the road. So what are the, some of the things that you can do? Well, the first thing is to become familiar with your personal signs of being stuck in the stress response or being stuck in survival mode. Once you learn to recognize these symptoms and signs, you can learn to respond a lot more quickly by activating your relaxation response, when I'm gonna, which I'm going to share with you in just a minute, rather than getting stuck in prolonged stress. So if you think about something called the earthquake assessment model for stress, which was developed um, in the 1990s by a woman named Jeannie Driscoll and, and some others who were actually working on exploring how stress impacts birth and birth trauma. If you think about an earthquake, first there are little tremors, right? You feel the little tremors that something's happening. And sometimes that may lead to a big earthquake and sometimes it may not lead to an earthquake at all. What I want you to be able to understand is what those tremors feel like in your own self. And there are some generalized ones that we all experience when our stress response gets acutely activated. Your heart starts racing, your shoulders go up, you get hunched. It's as if you are literally ready to run or fight. You feel that fight or flight. And some people get a freeze response. They just sort of shut down. They feel like they can't move or do anything. That's that immediate feeling. But when stress is impacting us, more chronically, we each respond to that individually. And, and for v women, it can be as varied as stress eating or losing your appetite. It can be feeling like you need to sleep extra just to sort of like shut everything out, or it can be you're not able to sleep, or it can be both. You need to nap because you're exhausted from stress in the day, then you can't sleep at night. It can be weight gain. It can be any of the symptoms I mentioned earlier, like um, tired and wired, or it can be getting cold sores more often. It can be an emotional feeling that you have of agitation or irritability or feeling overwhelmed. So we each know for ourselves when we're feeling these things. The thing is, rather than beating yourself up about it or rather than ignoring it, recognizing it as a symptom that you're in stress response activation, that you're in a physiologic response and what your body wants you to do, unless of course there is an emergency, you want to be in a physiologic response, but if you're not, your body's getting the sense that you are. You want to create a sense of inner calm and inner safety. And that is where we have relaxation exercises that we can then rely on to help pull us back into that centered calm feeling. So that's the first thing is getting familiar with the signs of being in stress response or being stuck in survival mode. The second thing that's really important to do is to identify those areas of your life that need attention so you can get out of survival mode and get into a life that you actually love living. This might mean saying no to some things that you've taken on, rethinking how you approach your personal work-life ratio taking more time for self-care so that you can have the resilience to cope with what's on your plate, rethinking your economics to want less of what you don't really need or earn more if that's possible, you know, getting creative with that. 
It might mean reaching out to friends more often. Oxytocin, the love hormone, gets released when we connect with the people we love. And this is a counterbalancing response to stress. But we know that modern work life, modern work shifts, especially some of these unpredictable shifts that we're now facing at many, many jobs, is actually keeping people from getting together with other people. We're texting, but we're not actually having those face-to-face, eye contact, you know, heart and soul times where we laugh, share, cry, share food together, walk, take a, you know, catch a movie, the things that we do with others that are so meaningful and that historically have always been part of human life that our modern life in its sort of pretense of connection is actually keeping us from doing. One of the things that I like to do um, twice a year, actually, I like to do it in the new year. And I also like to do it as I'm going into September, because those tend to be, you know, either September tends to be a time that's busy, and it's almost like the new new year, you're kind of coming into new seasons and cycles after summer, which always seems to have its own pace. Um, and the actual beginning of the year, to me, are really great times to think about my life priorities. And I actually like to sit down and draw out um, a circle that I break out into eight sections. And those sections include things like uh, relationships with my friends and family members, my, and then separately, my relationship with my partner, my spouse, um, my economics, my exercise, my self-care time, time in nature, and uh, time spent on creativity. You can break it into as many sections as you like. I would recommend starting with six or eight key areas and figure out the key areas of your life that you feel like you want to do an audit of. And look at, you know, where uh, work, uh, work and career is one of those as well. Look at those areas and look at, you know, where things are getting an inordinate amount of time and energy and attention, maybe in ways that keep you from nurturing other areas. And how can you create even just one area that needs a little bit more TLC? You know, if you're not getting any exercise, if you're not getting really enough time with friends, pick one area. You don't have to sort of fix it all at once or or rebalance it all at once. But what's an area that you can look to rethinking that, again, that sort of work or stress to life ratio. And when I say work or stress, like the things that are really taking you away from feeling like you're able to create some peace and downtime and calm. And this is really the word that we're going for is inner calm. And think about that, that visual image, if you will, of being that calm. You are the calm in that center of a storm. So think about that and take maybe even 15 minutes today while you're listening to this, you know, you can hit pause after you listen, because sometimes you'll hear an exercise like this and you're like, oh, that sounds really good. You know, I really want to do that practice. But if you don't do it right then or you don't set time for it that day, you know how that goes, right? It's it's gone, you know, and you're on to the next thing and you forget. And it's like, oh, I really wanted to do that. And then ultimately you don't or you forget about it. So really take some time. The third three, third thing is to develop a regular stress decompression practice. We all need tools for on-the-spot stress reduction, and also regular self-care habits that keep our nervous system well-fueled for meeting life's daily inevitable stresses. My favorite exercise for traffic jams, the sudden urge to quit my job or throw something at a boss, is called the quickie. And here's how you do it. You center yourself wherever you are, whether you're sitting or standing or lying down. You can do this in a line at the grocery store. You can do this if you're out on a run or on a treadmill while you're listening to me right now. You can do this while you're driving, just don't close your eyes. And what you wanna do is just feel the parts of your body that are connecting either, like if you're running, feel your feet on the earth. If you're sitting in a chair, feel your butt and your, you know, your backs of your thighs really connecting to the chair. Feel the chair supporting your weight, feel your feet both planted firmly on the ground, so uncross your legs. If you're in your car, just feel yourself seated in your in the car and just start to breathe naturally. Just breathe in and breathe out a few inhales, a few exhales. Then on the next inhale, as you're inhaling, you're gonna inhale to the count of four. 
And in your mind, you're saying, I am at peace. Then you're going to exhale to the count of six. I'm sorry, when you're inhaling, you're saying, I am. And when you're exhaling, you're saying, at peace. It's really funny because it's not actually called the quickie. I took a week-long mindfulness um, uh, training course at Harvard many, many years ago. And the person who was presenting this exercise, someone called Herbert Benson, who wrote one of the first modern books back in the like very early 80s or late 70s called The Relaxation Response, was teaching this. And he had learned it from Thich Nhat Hanh, who is uh, a great spiritual teacher. And for some reason, I think Herbert Benson must have said it's a pretty quick practice And in my mind, I thought he called it the quickie. And then later I looked back at the notes and he had called it something completely different, but it really stuck with my patients because they love it. They're like, you know what, honey, I'm going to go have a quickie right now. I'm just going to go in the bedroom by myself and have a quickie. Or you tell, you know, you tell your coworkers, I'm going to go in my office. I'm having a quickie and just makes everybody laugh. But it's really this very simple breathing exercise into the count of four, inhale deep, So you're pushing your belly, you know, like you're letting your belly rise while you're saying, I am. In your mind, you're saying it. And you exhale to the count of six at peace. So I'm just going to do it so you can hear what it sounds like. And if you want to do it with me, great. Again, if you're driving, you're on your bicycle, don't close your eyes. But anyone else, if you want to, just close your eyes. So feel really grounded. A few natural breaths. Always good for me when I'm talking on a podcast too, because I can start to talk really fast and get very excited. So on the next, inhale, you're counting to the four, inhale, in your mind, I am. Out through your mouth, to the count of six, at peace. And I usually recommend inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth. It creates a nice rhythm that gets your parasympathetic nervous system activated. And I always recommend doing it at least four times in one cycle. So let's do that together. Inhale to the count of four. Exhale to the count of six. I am at peace. Let's go. And if you've had your eyes closed, you can open them. The beauty of this is you can do this four times before going into a job interview, or if you have to go to the doctor's office, which is dentist is stressful for most of us, before you go in. You can do this in a room full of people. You can do this in a job interview, as long as you don't close your eyes. Nobody will know what you're doing as long as you don't you know, do your exhale too, obviously. But it can be a really therapeutic, quick shift. You can even hear, right, how much more, I should do this before I record every episode of Natural MD Radio. Like, you can hear I'm calmer. My voice is deeper in my body. And I've done this with a group of a thousand women at a time. And it's really profound, the shift that can happen. And you can really feel it. The other thing is you don't have to do it for just four rounds. You can do it for as many as you like. So for example, I was just recently finishing my book and toward the end of the book, it was getting pretty stressful for me actually to meet the deadline and I was over my word count and really is so important to me to, you know, meet my reader's needs. And so I was having some anxiety and at the same time, perimenopause, hormones, lots going on. And I was finding myself waking up at like four in the morning and my mind was racing. And of course, you know, when you wake up at that hour, you think of like all the dramatic things that could happen in your life, right? And I'd have to remind myself, okay, you know, you've got this tool, do the quickie. And I would use it. And it's amazing, you know, after six or eight or 10, depending on how activated I was, rounds, the thoughts would clear out, 
my nervous system would decompress and I'd fall back to sleep really peacefully. If you have trouble falling asleep at night, it's a great thing to do. If you have a colicky baby and you're rocking your baby and you know you feel like you can feel yourself getting so stressed out or you have a toddler that's pitching a fit, any million things that you can use this for to calm yourself down. And I've had patients who have taught this to their kids, even little kids, three, four years old, can learn to do it with you as well. Now, this is just one of many stress decompression practices. There's yoga, there's walking meditation, there is journaling. Over at the um, podcast, over at the blog that corresponds with the podcast, because I try whenever possible to get these all written out for you as well, for those of you who like to read or refer back to things quickly without having to find the place in the podcast, I've also got a link over to various tools that you can use for stress um, decompression and relaxation. So just go to avivaram.com forward slash 116. If you go to the third item under the healing, the adrenal thyroid connection, you'll find a link over to more tools that you can use. Now, the fourth thing I want to talk about is keeping your blood sugar balanced. Remember how I said that not eating can activate the HPA axis, but also HPA axis activation can um, affect uh, your thyroid. So it's a vicious cycle, right? You get, I'm sorry, it can affect, um, can affect eating. It can make you crave sugar and round and round, vicious cycle. Not eating activates HPA axis. Activated HPA axis affects appetite, weight, and so much more. You want to, and it, and it can completely jack your blood sugar. So when you go into the stress response mode, and I talk about this at length in the book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, your body is mobilizing blood sugar to help you fight or run. So it, it diverts a lot of blood sugar from various storage spots and helps your body produce more blood sugar and release it from your liver to your muscles. So you have the energy to fight or run. But what happens is that blood sugar, if it's getting released chronically because of stress, and also with it, insulin gets released chronically, you can start to develop blood sugar imbalances. You can have peaks and, and dips so that you have high blood sugar and then blood sugar crashes, like if you ate sugar. And you may have experienced that before where you've had like a really, really intense stress and afterward you felt famished and exhausted. You could just like eat a whole like Snickers bar or something, right? And that is a sign that the stress response system is activated. Over time, when that keeps happening, it can contribute to metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and diabetes. So this this bit of stress now, if it's not taken care of over time, can contribute to this chronic global health problem that we're now having. So keeping your blood sugar balanced both can help to reset the stress response um, but also can help counterbalance some of the impact that stress has on your body. Some of the symptoms that you're, you might see um, that your blood sugar is, is imbalanced is that you're feeling shaky, you get hot or cold sweats, you lose your concentration, you feel like you have some brain fog, you might feel nauseated or faint if you really you know, haven't eaten in a long time. You might just get that those symptoms and realize, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten since this morning and it's already mid-afternoon. Or you're like, okay, I ate a little bit, but it was like a Danish and a coffee, not real food. And most women know the feeling. We've been there at some point or another. The blood sugar crash or food emergency is super, super common. Your brain is dependent on a steady supply of blood sugar. And that's what keeps your brain functioning, which is why one of the things that happens when you're low blood sugar is that you do get that brain fog. Low blood sugar sends an emergency signal of the highest magnitude to your brain. So it will quickly activate the stress response, the HPA axis, and put you into this survival mode. So you want to make sure that you're, as I say to my patients, feeding your head regularly. You want to feed your brain, keep that blood sugar steady, but Fast food sugar, you know, quick snacks, empty calories, those don't give your brain the sustained energy you need. You get a quick peak, but then you get a blood sugar drop that just activates this again. So what you want to do is eat regularly, not skip meals, unless you're intermittent fasting, 
And that's going to keep your blood sugar steady if you're eating the right foods at the right times. But you want to always make sure that you are eating regularly, even if that isn't intermittent fast, that you break at the same time every day, and that each meal or each snack that you eat contains a combination of protein and good quality fat. Or if you're eating carbs of any kind, make sure that the carb is also accompanied by a protein and a good quality fat. My top tips for keeping your blood sugar steady are to eat protein at breakfast, don't skip meals. If you do need to snack, graze on high protein snacks, especially ones that have a little bit of fat, like nuts are a great choice, or hard boiled eggs, or some hummus with some veggie sticks. Those are all great options. And keep an emergency snack stash with you at all times. Now, if you look at number four under the adrenal thyroid, healing the adrenal thyroid connection, over at the blog page with this podcast, avivaram forward slash 116, you'll find also a link to a list of emergency snack stash things that you can keep on hand. Now, you definitely want to heal your gut. And while we're talking about reducing stress, you might wonder, well, how does healing your gut come into that? Well, our gut has actually been called our second brain. So not only does leaky gut impact the thyroid, and dysbiosis impact the thyroid, but healing the gut in and of itself can help you improve your mood, your energy, your sleep, all these things that help you de, you know, help you to unpack the stress. So as I mentioned earlier, elimination diet can be part of helping to heal leaky gut. Um, but also in the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, as well as over on my website, you can find complete programs for healing your gut as part of healing your thyroid and healing your stress response. And lastly, you can use adaptogens to support your adrenal stress response and also cool down immune and inflammatory reactions. Adaptogens, if you haven't heard of them, are a special class of herbal medicines that have been used for thousands of years, including in traditional Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine, as well as by First Nations people here in the U.S., literally for centuries, to promote a sense of well-being. The term adaptogen refers to the unique ability of these herbs to help your body adapt to stress. They do this by normalizing or regulating the adrenal stress response. Adaptogens help your body to cope more effectively with the demands of daily life. They're not a substitute for reducing stress and bringing more balance to your daily life, but they help give you that extra bit of support and resilience. They also provide a sustained sense of calm, and while they increase energy, with the exception of one adaptogen called Chinese ginseng, they're actually non-stimulating. So unlike coffee or matcha, which can increase your energy but do it in a more stimulating way, Adaptogens do it in a way that is more organic in the sense that they're creating an inner calm. And so that's reducing stress and reducing over-expenditure of energy and help you feel a greater sense of well-being. In addition to their effects on stress adaptation, they have profound antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects that protect your cells from a variety of chemical exposures and also protect from the impact of cortisol and adrenaline. Also, one of the definitions of adaptogens is that they are non-toxic, even with long-term use. The one time that they're really completely not appropriate is during pregnancy, but there are also some other contraindications, like if you're on immunosuppressive medications um, or with specific certain conditions. So I do encourage you to read a little bit more about them before you start using them. My top five are that I love to go to are holy basil, ashwagandha, rhodiola, American ginseng, and reishi. But interestingly, even uh, turmeric, especially curcumin, is now having um, evidence behind it that it show, that shows that it may partially work as an adaptogen. So over um, on my website, over on this blog page, you can click the link to read more about adaptogens. You can also click a link to get a free adaptogens webinar that I offer 
and a complete adaptogens ebook. And those are totally free. There's no sell behind those. You just get them and enjoy them. You know, I would love if you felt inspired to get a copy of the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. That would be amazing. It's been out for three years now. It's as relevant, if not more relevant than ever. The number of thyroid problems we're seeing in the United States are not going down and the amount of stress we're all experiencing is just going up. So, you know, it's a great book and it, it would it would love to, um, you know, love to, to find its way into your hands and really help you take back your health. Taking care of your stress system will help quiet down inflammation. It'll allow your thyroid to more effectively produce thyroid hormones. It can help you revert Hashimoto's antibodies. I've seen this happen countless times and allow your cells to convert and use your thyroid hormones. In the process, you'll find yourself more energetic, resting better, losing love handles if you've put those on and you just don't love them and you couldn't get a handle on them. You'll find that your sugar cravings will fade you'll sleep better, and life will seem so much easier. So we're all taught that the answer to every medical problem is a drug or a surgery. And I'm not going to you know, kid you, many of my patients with thyroid problems do go on to, I put them on to, and often stay on a thyroid medication. So reducing stress is not a cure-all for your thyroid. But it really is such a cure for so many of the things that that do ail us, can prevent so many downstream medical conditions, and it really can help you take back your thyroid health. And it's something right in your hands that make life makes life feel really great. So I hope that I hear from you over in the comments. If you try these things, let me know. I love to hear how it goes. Remember, subscribe drop a rating, and let your friends know. Thank you so much for joining me on Natural MD Radio. And I look forward to bringing the next episode to you very soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.